almost all of us know what it means to take a little baby in our arms and stick that plastic pacifier in their mouth that they think is something good. I don't know why they think that, but they think that. We all thought that at one time or the other. And then sway that baby back and forth until that baby falls asleep. Well, John's going to use that picture today as a metaphor of how the devil deals with the world. The devil loves to give the people of this world all sorts of little pacifiers that, that uh, they think are, are of value, of, of nutritional value, when there's really nothing there. And then he sways the people of this world back and forth from one worthless thing to another worthless thing until they're fast asleep in his arms. And he's pretty good at putting believers asleep too, isn't he? And one of the things, or the thing that we should do, if I see a fellow believer who's being duped by the devil, what do I want to do for that believer? I want to pray for that believer. Do you think maybe God would answer that prayer? Well, remember what we learned last week about prayer? I mean, does God answer our prayers? So go back with me to 1 John chapter 5 and pick up down in uh, verse number 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14. And listen to what John says to us. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, in Jesus Christ that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Man, that is an absolutely amazing promise. And it's in the word of God, and so we know that this promise is true. And one of the prayers that we know that God will answer is the prayer that we pray for fellow believers who are falling into sin. They're falling into the sway or into the arms of the devil, and they're falling fast asleep. That's why he says in verse number 16, and this is the verse where we want to pick up today. He says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask, and God will give him life. For those who commit sin, not leading to death. But watch this. There is sin leading to death. And I do not say that we should pray about that for other believers. So what John says right here in verse number 16, you want something noble to pray for? It is always according to God's will to pray for a brother and sister in Christ who we see sinning. Now, what's our tendency? When we see a brother or sister in Christ, what's our tendency? Oh, look at them. I would never do that. That's right. We gossip. We talk about We tell everybody, I mean, you've seen what Andrews has been doing? I mean, and Jesse's laughing. You see what Je you heard about Jesse and the things he's done? I mean, yeah, we love to talk about that thing, but we don't stop and say, Hey, that person, if, except by the grace of God, that would be me. And so what do I need to do? I need to pray for that person. I need to pray that they wake up. And what does he say right here? That God will give them life. 
What, what's he talking about when he says God will give them life? More of the life of God. And in the life of God, there's the power to overcome sin. But we don't pray for them, at least along those lines, if they're sinning a sin that's leading to death. Now, whoa. What is the sin that leads to death? What is it? Well, we, we might want to figure that out because I don't want to commit the sin leading to death. Some interpreters say that the sin that leads to death is the sin that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter number 12. You remember the story that Jesus was doing all of these miracles and he was casting out demons. And you remember what the Pharisees said to Jesus? They said he cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of the devil. And remember what Jesus said to them. He said that, that, you, that, he said that every sin will be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, how were they blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit was using Jesus to give witness to who Jesus was. He was using those miracles, rather, to give witness to who Jesus was, that he was and is the Son of God. And if you won't accept that witness, if you're here today and you've heard about Jesus Christ and you just say, well, man, I'm, I don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ, you can, there can come a point where you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and that sin is un. Forgivable. It's unforgivable because how are our sins forgiven? They're forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you don't have that forgiveness. And so that sin is unforgivable. Now, is that the sin that John is talking about here? I say no. And let me tell you why. Look back at verse 16. If one, anyone sees his brother sinning. Now, when he's talking about a brother, who is he talking about? He's talking about a born-again believer, a brother or sister in Christ. So if, if he can't be talking about unbelievers here. And he's talking about a sin that doesn't send you to hell, but a sin that leads to death. But I still want to know what is that sin. John, what is that sin? I mean, I can read the rest of this Bible. He's not going to tell me. Doesn't that make you mad when they, 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 give you, they get you all excited about something and then they don't tell you what it is? He doesn't tell us on purpose. You know why he doesn't tell us on purpose? Because the sin that leads to death is any serious sin. Any serious sin that, that, that uh, puts a person asleep, that puts him into the arms of the devil... Any serious sin that a believer allows in his life and he doesn't, he being convicted that it's wrong and he makes a choice to keep on sinning like that even though he knows it's wrong. And at some point, that sin will lead to death. God's going to take him out of here, him or her. Solomon said it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, because the punishment of a sin is not executed immediately, the sinner thinks he's getting away with that sin. And there are believers like that. There are believers like that are being rocked to sleep by their sin. And you know what John says? You don't need to pray for them. You see a believer that's continuing in sin, hey, you don't, there's no reason to pray for them because they've made a choice. 
and they have a desire to keep right on sinning, and they've made that choice, and probably the only thing that's going to get them to stop that sin is death. And so you don't pray. The best thing for them is death. So you don't pray for them. And then you really got to wonder about their souls. You got to, in fact, if you're going to pray anything, pray that God would save them. Because if I see somebody in a serious sin and they're making that choice and they call themselves a believer, I have to wonder if they're saved because John says in chapter 3, whoever abides in sin does not know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not really a brother or sister in Christ. Let me try to give you an example here of what John's trying to say. Let's, let's say you know a Christian, a Christian who is struggling with drug addiction. And they had this problem before they were saved, and they got saved, and they continue to struggle with drug, with illegal drugs. I mean, they try to stop, and they stop for a while, and then they fall back into sin. They fall back into, into uh, drug use. And you know that person well, and you know that they hate doing drugs. You know they hate it. They hate what it's doing to them. They hate what it's doing to their families. They hate the fact that they're dishonoring God and doing these drugs, and they want to stop, but they just keep falling. Hey, you want to pray for that person. The person in that situation, hey, you want to pray that God gives them the life. You want to pray that God gives them the power to, 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 and conviction to get them to stop that sin. And that's a worthy prayer, and God's going to answer that prayer. And just in case that person's not saved, you want to pray that God gives them his life so that they'll be saved. But let me give you another example. Let's say there's a Christian that you know and he, uses, he or she uses drugs and, and, and he has no intention of stopping. He likes his drugs. He doesn't care who he hurts. He doesn't care if he hurts himself or if he hurts his family. He doesn't care if he hurts God. If he dishonors God, he doesn't care. And you can't pray for that guy because it's a waste of time. He's made a choice. And God is not going to violate your choice. He's going to let you make bad choices if you want to make bad choices. And the only thing that can stop a person like that is some kind of death. Now, more than likely, John is talking about the death of your body. But you could also add to that your health the death of your, relations, of, of your relationships, the death of your prosperity, the death of your peace, the death of your joy. All of those things can be taken away. So you don't want to pray for that. You, you don't want to pray for a person like that, for God to give them more life. You know what you want to pray for? You want to pray for God to give them more death, more death and difficulty. That's their only hope. That's the only hope that somehow they'll be woken up and they'll repent of what they're doing and they'll change their ways. You know, on Wednesday nights, people all the time will ask, they'll say so-and-so, a friend of theirs has cancer or uh, they have some bad disease. Uh, and I want to pray that they get well. And I always ask, or a lot of times I ask, are they saved? Are they saved? Because if they're not saved, then 
maybe by praying that God would take away that disease, you're becoming a stumbling block in the way of what God's trying to do in their lives. You know, God, I mean, we're studying the book of Amos right now. Remember I told you earlier about how God, you can see the ways of God in the book, in the minor prophets. And one of the things that you see over and over in the book of Amos is that God brings a lot of these things on people. God brings diseases on people. God brings blight and mildew and storms and all sorts of stuff in love to get people to do the right thing. And so we have to be real careful that when we're praying, remember what he says here, he says, we, we, we know that when we pray according to God's will, that he's going to answer those prayers. If you're praying for some person who's, who's lost that has cancer and God's trying to use that cancer to save their souls, then, then we're actually praying against the will of God. So we want to know the situation. We need to, if we're going to pray for people, we need to invest in those people. We need to know what's going on in their life. If that person's a believer and they're living in blatant sin, hey, you don't necessarily want to pray that they come out of that difficult situation. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was this man who was having sexual relations with his father's wife. I don't know if that was an incestual relationship or not, but in any case, it was a terrible thing. And the whole church knew about it. He didn't care that the whole church knew about it. And you know what Paul did? He said, I'm going to pray for that guy. Man, I got to tell you what, if I could have anybody pray for me, it would be the Apostle Paul. Not necessarily. I mean, read the prayers in Colossians. Read the prayers in Ephesians where he says, I'm going to pray that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, pray for me, Paul. I hope he's up there praying for me now. We know Jesus is praying for us, so that's a great thing, right? But, But you wouldn't want Paul praying for you if you were living in sin, in some blatant sin. Because you know what he prayed for that guy? He prayed that God would turn him over to Satan so that his flesh would be destroyed, so that his soul would be saved. That's how Paul prayed. Did it work? Hey, you better believe it worked. That guy was experiencing all sorts of death. He was experiencing death of his health. He was experiencing death of his relationship. I mean, the church kicked him out of the fellowship of the church. I mean, he was all by himself. And you know what he did because of that? He repented before his body was actually totally destroyed. He repented and he turned to the Lord and he was restored back to the church. So that's how we want to pray. But let me tell you something. Be careful. Remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. He who is spiritual. You know, if you've got a brother that's having trouble, go to that brother and try to help that brother and pray for that brother. But be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. In other words, because we're praying for these people, it isn't a prayer of, man, Lord, thank you, I'm not like them. It's a prayer of, where goes me except by your grace? And so you pray, when you pray, you don't want to take an uppity attitude because look at what he says in the very next verse. He says in verse number 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So, hey, we're all sinning here to some degree. Because all unrighteousness is a sin. 
but there are degrees of sin. And if you're sinning in a way that dishonors God, in a way that harms others, in a way that destroys your witness, God might very well take you out. But we all got to be careful when we're praying for somebody in that situation that we, don't, we, don't, that we are careful to remind ourselves that there goes us except by the grace of God. And then he says in, look at verse number 18. He says in verse number 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. In other words, what he's saying here, we shouldn't, none of us should sin. None of us should sin. None of us have a right to, to, to point our finger at others because none of us should sin. Why should we not sin? Because whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you never sin after you get born of God. Born, born of God. But whoever that, who is, ever is born of God does not sin because you have a new nature. And that new nature is divine. That new nature is perfect. There is a part of you when you get born again. If you're here today and you're not born again, you don't understand this. But I understand it. There's a part of me that is absolutely perfect. It's the new nature that God has given me. The problem is, when God saved me, he didn't give me a new mind. All the old things that I'd done for 40 years before I got saved are still in my mind. I still have the flesh. I still have the sinful lust because of my flesh. And so the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But, but we shouldn't be sinning because God gives us the power of his spirit, his life, so that we can put away that sin. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. You keep yourself by putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we're told in Romans chapter 8. That's how we do it. And watch this. And you want a theological dinger right here? Look at this next one. And the wicked one does not touch him. You catch that? If you're a born-again believer, and you, by the power of your flesh, are putting your way your sin, and you're not living in blatant sin, then the wicked one cannot touch you. That is a theological gem right there. That goes against a lot of what's taught in mainstream religion today. The wicked one cannot touch you if you're truly born again. I mean, hey, I don't know about you, but that's great news for me, and that answers a lot of questions. I mean, let me. one question is, can I blame the devil when I sin? No, I can't blame the devil when I sin, not unless I'm giving the devil an opening into my life. I can't blame the devil because the devil can't touch me if I'm born again and I'm putting away my sin. He can't touch me. He can't build strongholds in my life unless I allow him to build strongholds in my life. If the devil has strongholds in your life, it's because you're allowing him to do that or you're not born again. Now, everybody who's born again, we're going to see in a minute, the devil has all sorts of strongholds in their life. If you're here today and you're not born again, a born-again believer, you're in the arms of the devil, whether you like it or not. I know you don't want to hear that. But every single person in this room was in the same state as you're in before they got saved. So I'm not casting stones at you. But if you're born again, the devil can't touch you. Now that answers another question for me. Can believers be possessed by demons and the devil? No. No. Because if the devil can't touch you, then certainly his demons can't touch you. 
that answers some more questions for me, or another big question for me, when I'm in trouble. I mean, when I get sick, when I lose my job, when disaster strikes, did the devil do it? Again, go back and read the book of Amos. You'll find out that God does a lot of that. If you're a born-again believer, I guarantee you that God does it because the devil can't touch you. The devil more than likely didn't do it. Now, here's what the devil can do. He can taunt you. He can bark at you really, really loud and scare you to death. And he can tempt you, but he can't touch you. And, and, if, and unless you let him, and in the minute you choose to get him out of your life, you resist him, and what does the Bible say he does? He doesn't just walk away. He flees from you. You know, people come to me all the time and, and they tell me about the problem they're having at work. And they ask me to pray for them because they've got some wicked boss or some wicked coworker who's trying to bring them down on their job and, and, and just how terrible it is. And, I mean, I don't laugh at them, but I almost want to smile. And, I, and, I, and every time somebody comes to me like that, you know what I tell them? I say, let me tell you something. The devil can't touch you. That's the devil. And he's taunting you, and he's harassing you, but he can't touch you. That's what the Bible says. He can't touch you. Now, he can bark at you really, really loud. I don't know how many times in Brenda's career over the last 20 years, she's said, man, I, I, this guy's trying to bring me down. This is, you know, this, uh, this is terrible. I'm about to lose my job. And I said, look, you know, you can quit if you want to quit. But I'll tell you this, it's nothing more than the devil barking at you. And if you lose your job, the only reason you're going to lose your job is because God wants you to quit working or he's got a better job for you. I mean, she had a situation years ago where there was this guy that was harassing her and doing everything to, to, to make her look bad in her job. And uh, he got her removed from her position. And what did God do? He promoted her to a much, much higher position. And that guy lost his job a year later. That's the way God will work if you'll give him the chance to work because the devil can't touch you. Look at, but that's not true. Listen to me. If you're not in Christ, that principle does not apply to you because listen to what he says in the very next verse, verse number 19. We know that we are of God. Hey, we who are born again, we know that we're of God. But look how he contrasts this to people who don't know Jesus Christ. We know that we are of, of God and the whole world is being rocked to sleep. They're in the sway of the wicked one. They're like little babies with pacifiers that the devil gives them, pacifiers that don't satisfy, pacifiers that don't provide no nutrition for their soul. And they're being rocked from one idol to another idol until they're totally asleep in the arms of Satan. That is the way of the world because the world is under the sway of Satan. Now, you try to tell people like about the you try to tell people the truth about this world, what are they going to do? Shh, don't wake me up. You know, I'm sound asleep. 
Don't tell me the truth. That's why we live in this world of political correctness. Nobody wants to face reality. Nobody wants to hear the truth. People don't want to be woken up from their dreams of utopia. Friends, you are, I don't want to say an idiot, but you're close to it. If you think this world is utopia, you're in bad shape. You know what the world thinks? The world thinks if you can get rid of the Christians and you can move them out of the, the public square, then this world will be utopia. Bring all the Muslims in you want, but man, get rid of those Christians and you'll have utopia. You know what? Because people don't want to be woken up. The people of this world, they don't want to be woken up. They don't want to be convicted of their sin and they don't want to face reality. They just don't want to do it. I mean, just look at the news. I mean, look at this presidential order that was given last week where they were going to stop the immigration temporarily till they had a chance to set up a system to vet immigrants coming in from countries that want to destroy us. And the world's in a tizzy. That's nothing more than common sense. But the leftists are pitching these little temper tantrums. They're like little babies on the floor screaming, don't wake me up. Don't do that to me, you racist, you bigot. Don't tell me that there's a demonic religion out there that wants to destroy me. And i got to tell you something. You know what's so ironical about this and so silly about this? Do you know who the very people the Muslims would destroy first would be if they took power? It would be the homosexual, it would be the political leftist, it would be the, the, the professor in college, it would be the Hollywood elite. Outside of Christians, they would be the first to go. But they don't see that because they've been rocked to sleep. And, and they're rocked to sleep while this world is spinning towards judgment. If you don't see we're heading towards judgment, I don't care who's the president of the United States. The president of the United States is not going to save this world. We're in bad, bad shape. There's only one hope for this world, and that is Jesus Christ. But the devil has convinced people he's not the hope, he's the problem. And that's how sick this world is. You know, their idea is everybody's really good. All, we don't need borders. We don't need nations. Just kumbaya, because everybody loves everybody. You know, you've got to be on drugs to believe like that. You've got to be nuts. I mean, the devil's done such a good job, he's convinced the world he doesn't even exist. And he's convinced the world that God doesn't exist. And he's convinced the world that you don't need the gospel because if there is a God, every, God just loves everybody and everybody's going to go to heaven one day. And you just, you don't need the cross. God was stupid to hang himself on a cross. That's what they believe. Friends, if you say all roads lead to heaven, that's what you're saying. You're saying God made a big mistake hanging on that cross for your sins. But he didn't make a mistake. There is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to heaven except through the cross. And we see that. We see that because look at verse 20. But we, those of us who are born again, we 
know that the Son of God has come. I love that that's the third time he's told us he's come. He doesn't say that he was created. Who came? God, Emmanuel came. God with us, he came. God came not as some great philosopher, as the world will say, as some human being who was just another historical figure, some, some great philosopher. God came to this world. He came to this world to save this world, to take us out of the sway of the devil, to wake us up. He came for that reason. And looking, continuing on in verse number 20, he says, and he, God, Jesus Christ, God has given us, given to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, an understanding, an anointing. Remember John said, we have an anointing. We know all things for the purpose that we may know him who is true. Who is him who is true? Jesus Christ. And we are in Jesus Christ who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. And watch this. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus said about himself in John 14, I am. I am. When he said that, there was a lot of power in that. It knocked people down when he said that. I am who I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. I am the truth. And and so here in verse 20, John says, we are in him who is true. So we know the way, we know the truth, we know the life. Paul says this in Colossians. He says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What's all mean in the Greek? All. Where's all the treasure? Where's all the good stuff? It's in Christ. You're not in Christ. You don't, you're not going to have the good stuff. This, is, this Bible to you is just... You know, it's boring, it's, 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 it's just a bunch of words on a page written by a bunch of guys, but if you're in Christ, you have the truth. And all the treasure, all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge, wisdom is how you apply this truth, all that treasure is where it's in Christ, and we are in him. Let me ask you a question. How much wisdom and knowledge is there coming out of Hollywood right now? Television and movies. Look, I got to tell you, there's some movies. I'm not here to say don't go to movies, don't watch television. I'm not doing that at all. I watch way too much of it and probably go way too many movies. But, but there, there, I try to find the movies where there is some truth. I try to find the TV shows where there is some truth. You watch Last Man Standing. Part of it's truth, part of it's not. The liberals is wrong, the, the girls are wrong, the guy's right. I'm joking. But there, there is some truth. There's some good in that. But you know what? More and more and more, it's become the devil's pacifier. He sticks it in people's mouths, and they all fall asleep. They fall asleep to what's going on in the world, the real things that's going on in the world, the reality of this world. We put ourselves to sleep. 
We allow the devil to put us to sleep. Let me ask you another question. How many of you going to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon? Yeah, that's right. Nobody. Ah, good. You're a good church. <laughs> I'm going to watch it. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. How much wisdom and knowledge is there in sports? You know, I'm a firm believer that God gave us sports, especially baseball <laughs> and golf. And sports that are sanctified, that are set apart for God's purposes, I think they could be a very good thing. I think sports could teach young men character, young women character. They could teach them discipline. They can teach them teamwork. I think, I think it's set apart for the uses of God. I think sports can be a very good thing. But more and more, it seems to me, that sports have become the devil's workshop. Just another idol that he uses as a pacifier to put this world asleep. I mean, there's just way too much sports in this country today. I hate to say it, but there's way too much sports. And, 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 and it takes us away from our relationship with God. And like I say, I'll probably watch the Super Bowl, and I don't really care which, which team wins. I hate New England. I don't really like Atlanta, so I'll, you know, I don't know which one I'll root for. But you can still come to church here, though, if you like New England. Don't, don't quit coming to church. If I said that about the Saints, I know I'd lose about 90% of you. But they probably won't ever be in the Super Bowl again. So we ain't worried about that. But a few years back, I was watching the Super Bowl halftime. Now, that's a big mistake to watch the Super Bowl halftime show. You've seen some of the things that have gone on Super Bowl halftime show. But one year, they had this giant, I don't know if you remember it, they had this giant Super Bowl trophy on like a big float. And they rolled it out onto the middle of the field. And, you know, they had like thousands of little kids down there doing their thing, you know, participating in the Super Bowl show and all of these entertainers and cheerleaders and football players and all this kind of stuff. And they started bowing down. Do you remember that? To the Super Bowl trophy. They started going like this to the Super Bowl trophy. And, and I know it was kind of supposed to be entertainment, but that said a lot to me because I think there's a part of this world that really does worship football or baseball or whatever. And friends, if sports become an idol, it's cro you've crossed the line. You've crossed the line, and, 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 it's, and it is the devil's workshop. And so much of it has become an idol that we're paying guys who are criminals millions and millions of dollars to entertain us, to put us asleep. And so there's something wrong with that. Again, the, it, in its purest form, sports is a good thing. But it's become an idol, I believe, in our world. You want another thing? I mean, let me ask you another question. How much wisdom and knowledge is there in religion? In religion. Religion is the greatest thing in the world when it's right, when it's true Christianity. It's the greatest thing in the world. There's nothing better than true religion. But as the Lord said in the book of Amos when we were looking at it Wednesday night, 
that any religion that is mixed with leaven only adds, multiplies, not adds, it multiplies your sins. So any religion that's not true Christianity only multiplies your sin because it's religion that is mixed with leaven, Amos says. And what's leaven? Leaven always represents sin. And in this case, it's error, it's error and sin. So any religion that mixes sin and error into it only multiplies your sin. And I believe, you want my opinion, a very large part of religion today is controlled by the devil himself. And he's using it to rock the world asleep. That's why John gives us what he gives us here in 1 John, so we can be sure that we're part of the true religion. And, and that's not Calvary Chapel or Southern Baptist or whatever. I'm not saying we're the true ones, this church is the true one. There's a lot of true churches out there. Really, it's an individual thing. I mean, if you're a true born-again believer, hey, you're, you're on the right track. If you're not, I don't care what church you go to, you're not on the right track. Any religion that denies the deity of Jesus Christ multiplies your sin. Any religion that says somehow through your works you're going to make it to heaven, it only multiplies your sin. Any religion that said there's some other way to heaven other than by the propitiation, the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross, by faith in that blood, that religion is only going to multiply your sin. And it's being used by the devil to rock people asleep and doom them to eternity in hell. A lot of religion out there like that. But you and I, listen, we're no longer in the arms of the devil being rocked asleep. We are in Christ, in his arms. And he's rocking us. He's actually shaking us and waking us up. He's waking us up to reality. He's waking us up to truth. And what a place to be in the arms of Christ because he is the true God and eternal life. And why would you want to be anywhere else? Why would you want to worship anything or anyone else? That's why John concludes this book says one thing you don't get anything else John says I want you to get this I want you to get this if you don't get anything else here it is sum up the book right here little children keep yourself from idols keep yourself from idols you want to pass the test you want to love God and Love your neighbor as you love yourself, you got to keep yourself from idols. You want to know the truth about God? You want to have an anointing and know all things? You got to keep yourself from idols because if, 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 if you're filling your mind with idolatry, you're not going to know the truth. You want to be obedient to God and have the power to be obedient? To live a sinless life, you've got to keep yourself from idols. You want to have your prayers answered? 
Anything you ask in my name, according to my will, Jesus says, I will answer that prayer for you. You want power in your prayers? You got to keep yourself from idols. That shouldn't be such a hard thing to do. Because the God I worship and you worship, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Do you want life or do you want death? If you want life, worship him. Put away your idols. After you watch the Super Bowl tonight, put away your idols. Look, God wants us to have some entertainment. God wants us to have some fun in life. He's not a killjoy. But he wants us to put him on the pedestal, nothing else. He wants us to make him our God in life. That's what he wants for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the great blessing that we have through Jesus Christ, that we have life eternal, Lord, the, the power to, to overcome death and sin. Lord, you've awakened us to the to the truth and reality of this world, that this world is under the sway of the devil. Lord, you've shown us how we can escape all of those things that are destroying us and putting us to sleep. Lord, just help us all to keep ourselves from idols. Lord, you are our, the true and living God. You are eternal life. We just thank you for that life and for the blessings we have through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Savior, I come crying my soul. Remember redemption's
Supper, we take of the elements in remembrance of the Lord, but something else going on here. When, when we come as a body to celebrate Christ, he's in our midst. You don't see him here right now, but he's in our midst. But he's in our midst when we leave this room. He's in our midst when we go home. He's in our midst when we go to our prayer closets. He's in our midst. He's with us all of the time. Who is, who is he? I mean, who is this one who shed his blood for me? Who is this one whose body was broken for me? Let me tell you who he is. He's the true God and eternal life. That's who he is. And we love him because he first loved us. And if he would do that for us and come to make his home in us and live with us, what should our response be? Little children. Keep yourself from idols. For I received from the Lord that which also delivered to you, that on the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant 
in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 